0: Hey guys, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Bueller, and I'm here with my co host and princess sister, Brittany. Hey guys, today we're going to be discussing the retirement of legendary LSU Gymnastics coach Dee Bro, Chelsea Memel, officially announcing her comeback. Yay, so exciting! And we're also going to be talking about the latest abuse allegations, this time coming from Texas Dreams, aka Texas Nightmares, as it's becoming pretty well known in the gym tonight, which is of course run by Kim Zemeskel and her husband, Chris Burdide. Later in the show, we'll be talking with mental performance coach Rebecca Smith about the toxic and abusive culture that has become the standard in gymnastics, and we discuss some ways that we can start to shift away from that and create a better environment in the gym for the athletes, so stay tuned at the back end of today's episode for that. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Alright, so some quick housekeeping before we get into our conversation with Rebecca Smith from the Perform Happy Podcast. The first piece of news being that Sam McHulick has announced that after this next year, hopefully after the Olympics in 2021, that he will be retiring. He announced that in a video on his YouTube channel this past week and There's a couple different reasons that he gave for his reason for retiring. The first being that he's been dealing with some wrist inflammation and it seemed to just get worse during quarantine, during that little break. It didn't seem to be getting any better for him. Um, He's been taking, you know, some cortisone shots in his wrists. And they basically said that in order for him to keep doing gymnastics, he would have to continue taking those cortisone shots routinely to be able to do gymnastics and not have the inflammation in his wrist. So... I didn't realize that he was having pain in his wrists at all. We don't follow men's gymnastics as closely as we do the women, so I'm not completely in the know about what's going on on the men's side. But yeah, I mean, he sounds like he's been in some pain and nobody would want to have to take cortisone shots for the rest of their gymnastics career. So I think it makes sense. He also mentioned during quarantine, just having a break and feeling less stressed You know, with gymnastics, you don't ever really get a break. So now that he, as well as every other gymnast in the world, pretty much had some time off, they had to take several months off, not do gymnastics, kind of forces you to discover other passions and to kind of slow down a bit and think about life without gymnastics. And how great it could be. Right. I know, before, like, he probably could never even fathom what life outside of gymnastics even was, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, he talked about, you know, checking some things off his bucket list and getting things done around the house and just living a normal life, and I think he really seemed to enjoy that. And he's engaged now, so. I know, that's so exciting. Yeah. I think he's just looking forward to life after gymnastics, and it makes sense. To be honest with you, I don't think i really imagined him retiring this soon i kind of saw him going for a little bit longer but his reasonings for wanting to hang up his grips i guess you could say um it makes sense yeah and we've always been pretty big fans of sam McHulag. obviously he was a gymnast at the university of michigan and we're rooting for him i'm hoping that he can finally get that medal at the olympics and just have a good finish to his career So, in gym switch news, both Lenny Madsden and Olivia Greaves have switched over to WCC, which I'm sure most people know this by now, but that is World Champion Center, where the one and only Simone Biles trains. So, that's pretty exciting. They've got quite the elite army being built up over there. I know, they do. It started off with just Simone, and then now, like, slowly over time, it seems like they're about to roll up to nationals with half the roster being the (laughs) girls from WCC. I know. It's like the new Wogan that's how woga was back in the day, yeah. I feel like. But I think I'm most surprised about Lainey Madsen, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I wasn't anticipating her switching gyms at all, maybe, right. or anytime soon at least. Well, and I think it's very possible that, given the current situation in the world with, you know, the pandemic going on, I don't think gyms in California are training full-fledged, if at all, right mm-hmm. now. Which would make sense because Lori went back home to New Jersey and has been training at ENA Paramus and I'm pretty positive. I guess we don't know for sure, but I'm pretty positive that's not a uh, for sure Thing that's right. just a temporary thing for a while. So maybe with Lainey on. it could be something similar. It could just be a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. I guess we don't really know. That remains to be seen. Yeah. Either way though, I think that's exciting, and I think that she'll improve. benefit. Yeah, yeah. She can definitely benefit from you know having a having different coaches for a period of time and seeing if she can maybe learn new skills. Maybe they can help you know clean up some other skills that she's already had in the past. Um, Lainey competes for Bulgaria. If you guys aren't familiar with her story, she's a former cheerleader, so she has the cheer background. She's not your typical story where she's done gymnastics her whole life. She's... Yeah, she definitely had a late start. Yeah, and she's kind of had to work really hard to get to where she is now. So it's a cool story for sure. And looking forward to seeing what happens with her. She's... Technically, she could go to the Olympics in 2021, but it's just highly unlikely she would have to place, you know, in the all-around. I forget what position she would have to place, but she'd basically have to do very well in the all-around at European Championships next year, which, given her results so far, it's not likely. um, Possible, I guess, but not likely. So she's more likely gearing up for the 2024 Olympics, which I think will be good because I think she can maybe use a little bit more time to clean up her execution a little bit. Yeah, and same with Olivia Greaves too. I feel like she's. We kind of talked last week about you know who we think's in the mix for the Olympics, and I think that she's she's up there. She was one of the strongest juniors, and I think that she shows a lot of potential, especially on bars. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of curious to see what Laurent does with her bar routine. That'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, but- because he's kind of known for being one of the best bar coaches in the United States. I mean. Look what he did with Madison Koshan and all the gymnasts at Olga, really tremendous bar workers. So yeah, looking forward to seeing what they can do with Olivia. And I know a lot of people were kind of wondering where she was going to end up. So we finally have our answer. She's at WCC and we're happy for her. And hopefully this is a good fit. So let's talk about Chelsea Memel, because she has finally announced her comeback in the sport of gymnastics. We've been watching her YouTube videos, and it kind of looked like she was coming back and just not saying it. But... Yeah, I think she was really hesitant to, like, put a label on it. (laughs) Yeah. But we all knew that she was coming back. But now we actually can say it for sure, because she said it herself, she's coming back, which is super, super exciting. I am obsessed with the fact that she's coming back. She's a mom now. She's had two kids. And she was such a legend in the sport before, so to see her coming back and doing as well as she's doing. I almost want to say she looks better. Like, some of her skills, like mm-hmm. her, the amplitude on her leaps and her jumps. she her looks better. looks good. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's wearing leotards again, too, which I love. There was a video of her wearing, like, a... It was the 2003 World Championships, but, like, the training... Leo, Mm -hmm. Um, it looks like the same as the one they wore at the actual meet in the tame vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool and yeah, I think that she looks better than I guess, I don't want to say she looks better than she has before, but like I feel like she has the potential to be better. Yeah. From what we've seen so far. Yeah, and she's come back Pretty quickly, I feel like she's progressing on all the events. I think it was last week's training video where her dad was kind of hinting at the fact that she was going to be doing an Aminar on vault. And I can't tell if he's joking or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like he is. Like, I think he says things. Just to see if she'll do it. And then she does. So Uh. it's like, she probably will do an Aminar, honestly. I'm kind of expecting it, to be honest. I mean, her double looks really good. Yeah. So, I mean, at least off the table, I think she obviously is doing it into a, a pit with the mats on it. And there's a little bit of form in the air, I think, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, at this point in the game, it's like, she still looks good, looks better than I think anybody else would come back and look at this point in time, so... Honestly, I would just be happy if she competed again, I think that would be so cool, if she could make it to Olympic Trials, or maybe even Worlds in 2021, Yeah, because it's an individual Worlds, there's no team medal, so... I'm like, if she doesn't make the Olympic team, maybe she can make Worlds and get an individual medal there. That would be, like, super, super bomb. Yeah. Just to kind a of a comeback story. Yeah. And even just for her to be able to end kind of, like, on her own terms and mm-hmm. have the ending that maybe she was hoping for last time that she didn't really get. Yeah. I'm rooting for her. And, you know, we talked previously about, you know, what we thought her chances would be for making the Olympic team. And I still don't know if I'm fully, like, sold on the, her making the team. Mm-hmm. I'm not at all like, opposed to it. I think she's amazing. I think that she's going to continue to get better as time goes on. It's just a matter of like, where she fits in, I think. Yeah, and I think Tom's made it pretty clear that he's going to be taking the top four all-arounders on the actual team. So she has some work to do if she wants to get herself into the mix as far as being, you know, one of the top all-arounders in this country because obviously there's so many. But we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's impossible for her. And with the the growth, that, the growth that she's had just in the last couple months even, has been tremendous. So I'm super excited about this. In college gymnastics news, Dee Dee Breaux, the head coach of LSU, she's been the head coach for the last 43 years, she announced her retirement, which I think was a shock to yeah. a lot of us. I did, definitely did not see that coming. I knew that she was probably going to be retiring soon because, yeah, like you said, 43 years. She's been around for a long, long time. I kind of thought that she would stick around until the team won a national title because I feel like LSU is on the brink. They're they're heading in that direction, so I, I kind of felt it coming very soon. So I thought she'd stick around for that, but yeah, she announced, you know, a couple days ago that she's done. She's going to retire, so. And a lot of coaches, I guess I've seen people talking about this on Twitter a little bit, you know, what are your thoughts on coaches that announce like, this will be my last season, like, right now. So, we're going into my last season. Yeah. What do you think that does to the athletes? I, personally, I don't... I don't mind it. It's not like I hate it. But I don't like it either, because I feel like it takes the attention off the athletes, first of all. I guess it depends on how big, the, you know, the head coach is. But, like, with UCLA, for example, and this is no shade at Miss Val or anything, but... It was kind of made such a big deal that it almost took away from the seniors and that that tremendous senior class. Yeah. And I also think it kind of adds a lot of pressure, especially for the LSU girls, if they would have known, because they haven't won a national title yet. And I think that they would feel, you know, this is Dee Dee's last year, we need to win this national title for her, just like UCLA in twenty nineteen, they won the year before. I think they felt the pressure to defend that title, not only just to defend it, but also because it was Val's last year. So they felt like they kind of had to go out like with a bang yeah. and do that for Miss Val. I think it just adds a lot of pressure, and I personally, I just don't like it, just because like I said, it takes away the attention from the seniors, you know, they've been doing gymnastics their whole life, this is the end of their career, and I get it, like it's the end of the coach's career too, and you want to celebrate them, but I just remember, we're talking about UCLA now, but I remember watching that last home meet for UCLA, and all the attention being about Mrs. Val, and I'm like... Caitlin Ohashi, like you know what I mean. There's yeah. so many like amazing girls on this team. I just felt like their moment was kind of like diminished because yeah. it became about Miss Val. And like I said, that's no no shade meant towards Miss Val because I think she did t- tremendous things for the program there at UCLA. But I'm kind of glad. I guess what I'm saying is that Dee, Dee announced it before the season, and there was no last hurrah. You know, this is my final season. Mm-hmm. I think it's better that way. I wonder if the gymnast knew. Probably. I'm sure it was one of those things that was talked about, you know, behind closed doors. Yeah. I'm sure they knew it was coming. She didn't just drop a bombshell on him. Or maybe she could have. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe she did. (laughs) But either way, I think, you know, Dee Dee had a tremendous career at LSU. She's done so much for the program. She's the longest tenured coach, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's like, you have to be like proud for what she's accomplished and I am glad that she didn't announce it like going into the season and then have this be her last season mm-hmm. I think it's cool that she's letting like the focus be on the team where it should be yeah and she said that she's gonna stick around I think if you watched the video where she announced her retirement I'm you so can, sad. I know <laughs> you can tell she has just like tremendous pride you know, LSU pride. Yeah. and Hence the clothing, which is really cool, though. <laughs> yeah. I think her mom made them. I think I heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, like the outfits that she wears, like the shirts oh, that's, and that's cute. how it has, like, the tiger. Like, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I just, um, I, I do have a lot of respect for Dee Dee, and I think she'll be missed at LSU. I'm sure the LSU fans will really miss her as well, but... Looking forward to see what she does in the future. She mentioned sticking around and still being at all the sporting events. I'm sure we'll see her in the stands. You know, the cameras will pan up and show DD Dee Dee bro in the audience. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll see DD Dee Dee again. There's also some coaching changes at Nebraska, which is good news because Nebraska has been like high key problematic for a while. I was gonna say low key, but I was like, you know what? It's pretty high, high key. key. <laughs> um, so it's not the head coach which maybe is debatable. I think a lot of people have thoughts on that. It's They have a new assistant coach, which is Brian Amato. He was an assistant coach at Oregon State for the last seven years. Um, he's been there since 2013. And then they have a new volunteer assistant coach, which is a fan favorite, um, Sophia Hidrali. She was a recent graduate from University of Alaska. Um, I guess she was kind of like a star for that team, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, a two time regional qualifier. So yeah, I think this she'll bring a lot to Nebraska's program and hopefully they can get things going in the right direction because Yeah, finally some good news for Nebraska. I know, like no offense, but that team has kind of been a shit show for a while. So yeah. <laughs> we're we're hopeful that they're going in the right direction. But they still have Heather Brink as the head coach. So I know there's, you know, some thoughts on that, but <laughs> maybe we'll save that for another episode dedicated to college gymnastics. But um... in more depressing news, also on the college note, former MSU coach Kathy Kligas was finally sentenced. Her sentence was her sentencing was postponed um, and it, it happened this past week and she received 90 days in jail for lying to police during the investigations in relation to the Larry Nasser scandal. I think that's a total, just a slap on the wrist, and a slap in the face to all the survivors. Yeah. Knowing that she knew, and she was told years ago, and how she handled that news, um, and just kind of... You know, made the girls feel like they shouldn't speak up and totally threw their complaints in the trash and you know, made them feel horrible about what happened. But then now she gets to sit there and cry. Did you see that video of her like crying and... I actually didn't. Okay, well it was really annoying. (laughs) You should be glad that you didn't watch it because, yeah, it's just her like, you know, playing her violin and she didn't know. And It's like, yes, you did. You Mm -hmm. did know and you deserve more than 90 days to be honest. So, yeah. Not enough. I'm I'm glad that something happened. I'm glad she's not just getting away from this, like, completely free, but... Well, I am too, but... 90 days ain't nothing. If I was a survivor, I would not be satisfied with 90 days. So before we get into our conversation with Rebecca, we just wanted to give a quick little update on some of the latest abuse allegations that have come out, just because we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, the part with Rebecca. Um, We did that a few weeks ago, and a lot has happened since then, so we feel it's appropriate to kind of address... What's currently going on. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing being that the Dutch Federation has shut down amidst some of the abuse allegations. Um, That basically means that they've stopped their national team training and they're conducting an investigation, which I think is awesome. They're the first Federation to actually Mm do it that way. You know, have a, have the athletes stop training and actually conducting an investigation so that way the coaches that were accused are not around the athletes. Yeah, that's I, a, setting a good example. Yeah, and, and if only other federations could do the same thing. Right. Which, well, it, it shows that they're looking out for the athletes in their best interest, so I, I really do like that. Yeah. So the girls can still train independently at their own clubs as far as my understanding goes. They just aren't training as a national team. And mm. I, you know, like we said, I do think that's the right move at this point in time. Hey guys, before you go any further, we wanted to make a quick edit to this episode, so it's up to date with the latest news. This episode was actually recorded and published prior to Kennedy Baker's statement being released about her experience at Texas Dreams, and we just want to make it clear that we do not condone the racist remarks by Chris Diet that were played off as jokes. We think that kind of behavior is totally inexcusable, and we also talk a lot about the elite athletes who have been severely injured and broken by Kim and Chris, and Kennedy made it very. Very clear in her statement that she was forced to train while in pain and that her injuries were often ignored and not properly handled. She specifically mentioned a time where Kim told her to move out of the way so the girls could continue tumbling and that she made Kennedy go and get her own ice pack when Kennedy clearly could not walk. That kind of negligent coaching style, in addition to Kim and Chris's extensive history of injured athletes, is definitely worthy of an investigation by Safe Sport. Yeah, and Ashton Kim's statement, which is what we talk about mostly today in the episode, she mostly referenced training through injuries and some instances of verbal abuse, which is obviously completely inappropriate. And as more details come out about Kim and Chris and how they treated their athletes, we do think that something more needs to be done. We need to ensure that coaches are not getting a free pass just because of their reputation or their history with the sport. So we think it's really important that USA Gymnastics takes these complaints seriously and that an investigation be done immediately. So we just want to say thank you to Kennedy for speaking out and sharing your story along with Ashton and whoever else may come forward. We think that your stories and your voices will help to hold Kim and Chris accountable and bring about the change that the sport so desperately needs. So thank you again and we will get you guys back to the episode. Another one that might not be all that shocking is Ashton Kim, who was a former gymnast and elite gymnast from Texas Dreams. She was an elite back in 2012. She put out a statement on social media that basically confirmed all of her suspicions about the unhealthy training environment at Texas Screams. Texas (laughs) Screams. Texas Screams, pretty much. Pretty accurate. (laughs) Sounds like one of those... um, Places you go on Halloween, like one of those scary... Yeah. Uh, what are like they? a call? haunted house. Yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what <laughs> I'm trying to say. Texas screams. Anyways, the coaches there are Kim Zemeskel and her husband, Chris Burdai. Most people know that. And in Ashton's statement, she said that she was often screamed at. And whenever she had an injury, they wouldn't believe her. There were some jokes made about race, saying things like, of course you want to go to Stanford. And... That kind of is going along with the stereotype that people of Asian descent are all smart. Yeah. And, you know, Stanford is obviously a very prestigious school. So to get into Stanford, you, you do have to be pretty smart. But right. for the coaches to say that, are like, oh, of course you want to go to Stanford. Like, why? Because she's Asian? Right. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Another thing, too, that's not really related to Ashton, but just kind of along the same lines, kind of backs up what Ashton was saying. Yeah. Kennedy Baker, a couple of months ago, maybe a month or so ago now, um, shared on her Instagram story some screenshots of something that Chris apparently posted on his Instagram, and it was a picture of him with like a Muppet on his shoulder, and then he photoshopped her face over the Muppet, so It was basically, like, Kennedy Baker is a Muppet. Right. And she's sitting on his shoulder. And I forgot what the caption was. Something stupid. But she was not happy about that. Understandably so. Right. And she said that he didn't do anything like that to any of the other girls at the gym. So, kind of inappropriate. Oh, yeah. You know, I think with Kim Zemeskel being a world champion and very well-known in the gymnastics world, very well-respected, I think for many years, people including us, have been kind of turning a blind eye to what's actually going on in that gym, mm-hmm. and I think people have kind of been catching on to the fact that a lot of their athletes are very, very injured. You mean, like, all of their athletes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a list here, guys, and we're going to kind of quickly go through it, but yeah, they're, they've they kind of developed a reputation for burning out athletes. All their girls are injured. Um, they don't seem very happy, you know, doing elite gymnastics. And a lot of them end up leaving the sport, it seems like, before they even reach their mm-hmm. potential. Better they do go to college, but they never quite... I guess, meet their goal, Mm -hmm. like going to the Olympics. And I guess other than Reagan, none of them ever really see a world championship team or, you know, any of those big lofty goals that a lot of them have at one point in their careers. Yeah. They just don't make it there. And you can't help but wonder, like, what's going on. Exactly. Like, what is going on inside that gym where the second these girls turn senior they're you know severely injured to the point where they either have to retire from the sport or you know they drop down to level 10 they go off to college but then they don't even make it through their college career Mm -hmm. it's insane so we have a list here of all of the elite gymnasts from texas dreams and i know there was one prior to chelsea davis i don't remember who it was but i'm just starting with chelsea just because that's who i'm most familiar with it wasn't tiffany tomei was it Tiffany Toland, I did go to Texas Dreams. I think you're. But right I don't about remember that. if she was in the league. I don't think she was. We probably should have looked this up. But <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea Davis is the first one that comes to my mind because she's, you know, the biggest one. She was their first world team member, I guess you could say, even though she was an alternate. But she dealt with many injuries in her career at the world championships in 2010 she was named an alternate after she had a knee injury she dislocated her kneecap and training at the world championships mm-hmm. and ended up being put as an alternate went off to college was still struggling with injuries her senior year she was limited to just bars um and then really throughout her whole career she was kind of limited to just bars and vault i think she occasionally did like a Beam routine or floor routine her freshman year, but for the most part, she wasn't the all-around athlete that she could have been. Right when Georgia recruited her, she was probably in her like prime as an elite gymnast, and then didn't quite like stay to that level. Bailey Key was another one of the athletes who in my opinion, was on track to making the 2016 Olympic team. I think at one point in time, many people had her on that team. Yeah. Um, She was a junior national champion. Super beautiful, clean, consistent gymnast. Had so much potential. And then she started dealing with a back injury. She competed one year at the senior level, but wasn't quite where she needed to be and then from there just kind of fizzled out did go off to college university of alabama for a little bit but we never really saw her compete i think she competed maybe once or twice um, I think twice. Yeah. We, we actually saw the first time she competed, Alabama was at Michigan, so we technically saw her very first college routine ever. Yeah. Wasn't a very good beam routine, No, but, I think she fell like three times. But it's just so sad to think about the potential that was kind of wasted mm-hmm. because of Kim's inability to pace athletes or work through puberty. I'm not exactly sure what actually is going on there, but it, it seems that once they hit the senior level... It's just, like, injuries strike, and things just go downhill. Yeah. And Bailey in particular, I think, you know, even if she hadn't made it to the Olympics or the World Championships, I think we all, at the very least, expected her to be, like, a great all-around gymnast Mm -hmm. in college. So... She could have been, like, a superstar in college, because she was so clean and elite. And, like, imagine what she could have been like with some, you know, more watered-down routines that they do in college... Uh, it kills me to think about it. I know. Peyton Earnest was another one. She also went to the University of Alabama, dealt with numerous injuries in her career. She competed one year at Florida, only did beam because of, you know, some limitations because of injuries that happened prior to coming to college. And then she basically was faced with two options, either retire on a medical scholarship or transfer. And she obviously decided to transfer to the University of Alabama and then... Basically did one year there as well, beam only, and then retired. Sounds like for not only injuries, but also some mental issues with the sport as well, which kind of aligns with what, you know, we heard from Ashton in her statement. Ari Gira was another one who went to Bama. She also had a back issue um, before she even came into college. She actually fractured her back in four places, which is... Ouch. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, like, it's crazy that she was even able to come back from that and have as great of a career at Alabama that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up being pretty successful there, so that's crazy, and, I, you know, oh, massive props to her for that. A happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Keanu Winston was another one, too. She. Why are all these girls going to Bama? <laughs> it's like from Texas dreams to Alabama. Yeah, that's weird, actually. Um, she also had a great, great, great career at Alabama, but kind of struggled with injuries throughout her elite career, and she never really made it to the senior level. Mm-hmm. So, again, typical. Yeah. Texas Dreams also had a number of younger juniors who either never made it to the senior level or they just left the sport altogether. Ironically, Nika Holtz and Colby Flory were both committed to UCLA at one point in time and they were both junior elites, but both quit the sport for, I guess Colby, we don't really know why, but Nika, it sounds like she also had some mental issues with the sport in addition to injuries. I know she fell and had a bad concussion, was dealing with a really bad mental block, and Kind of knowing what we know now from, about Texas Dreams, you know, it probably wasn't very helpful to have Kim and Chris yeah, during they, that time. They they seem like the kind of coaches, apparently, that would, you know, if she was having some sort of a mental block, from whatever skill it was that she injured herself, they would kind of, you know, act like... Get over it. Yeah, like, why are you acting like this? We're gonna, you need to get past We're going to talk a little bit about mental blocks later on with Rebecca. You guys will hear that. But, um, real quickly, there's a couple more we wanted to mention because they have a lot of elite gymnasts yeah, and they it really puts into perspective, you know, all these girls have had similar stories, really, really shows you something that's going on here at this gym. Grace Quinn, Annie Beard, great juniors. Um, some of my favorite juniors, actually. Yes. I love Annie Beard. hmm And Grace Quinn, though. I love her too. I love her. 14, yeah, in college, yes, and college, <laughs> yes, yeah, with Harry Styles, and it's like oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, but they were injured as juniors and eventually stopped elite. Haven't really seen much of them. I mean, Grace obviously is in college now, but before going to college, she was like gone. Like she didn't even do a lot. She 10. literally like dropped off the face of the earth and then emerged at Cal, and I was like, oh, she still does gymnastics. Yeah. Annie, Annie Beard posts on her Instagram, like, mm-hmm. some training stuff. But she's but. still, she's been struggling with injuries. Abby Walker is another one. At one point in time, she was committed to Georgia, and then had a bad hip injury, possibly even a shoulder injury, and now, as far as we know, she's walking on at Penn State, so... Potentially lost a scholarship to a bigger university because of injuries. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Because typically when someone's going to a big school on a scholarship, then they walk on to a smaller team. That would lead me to think that her scholarship was pulled, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Not I mean, I choice. think that I still am optimistic that she'll be great for Penn State and she can still have a great career. I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. That would be really nice to have a happy ending for her because I think she's amazing. Emma mm-hmm. Malbuio, another one, great as a junior, twenty seventeen, loved her. She was so great. Another one that I think a lot of people were thinking, like you know, worlds, potential medals there, oh, for The sure. Olympics. Like the girl was on fire. Yeah, and then. Became a senior and has had nothing but problems with injuries. Same with Deanne uh, Souza, kind of similar. She originally was at Ari for majority, I would say, of her elite career. Yeah, her junior elite career. And then she came to Texas Dreams as a senior. And, you know, perfect timing. Come to Texas Dreams as a senior, you're bound to get injured. Right. When it seems like. (laughs) Then Reagan Smith. You know, perhaps the most accomplished elite of the Texas Dream bunch. But still, struggled with a lot of injuries along the way that, you know, it makes you wonder if she wasn't at Texas Dreams, maybe was training somewhere else, what could have been. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that Reagan had a great career. Like, there's nothing to be, you know, ashamed of or disappointed Mm -hmm. with her career. You know, she made it to Worlds, and she's a national champion, and Olympic alternate. Like, she really did have a great career. She did, but she could have done so much more. I think she could have lasted a little bit longer, because, you know, yes, she was young when she started Elite, so she did- you know, she's been around the block longer than some of these other girls have been, but, like, we're seeing now more than ever that you can be older Mm -hmm. and still be competing at the highest level. Look at Simone. Yeah. Well, here's what I don't like, though. So, obviously, we all know World Championships in 2017, she tore some ligaments in her ankle, three ligaments, actually- right before the all-around final so she misses out on that and many would say that she was on track for winning that there was a great possibility she could have won that year so that's a big shame but then she comes back the following year and she says in an interview i remember hearing this um it was podium training after national championships or before sorry it was before national championships and she had three broken toes and she basically said that she was constantly having ankle pain like she couldn't even remember the last time she had trained without pain and to me, that's, like, red flags, like, why is this girl competing? Well, then she says that she doesn't like getting checked out before a competition and will probably just wait until after afterworld. And I'm like, what is the mindset here, Kim, as the coach, Kim and Chris? Like, at that rate, her shot of making the world's team wasn't looking that great anyways because she was coming back from the injury the year prior. She wasn't looking her best anyways. Right. She wasn't competing well, wasn't training well. And then you're forcing her through for what? Just to make the world championship team when the long term goal was supposed to be 2020. It's yeah. like there's no pacing. That's like not a concept for that. No. It's like, go, it's, go, go. It's here and now and like do everything you can right now, which mm-hmm. I definitely think can bite you in the ass. Yep. Right now they have Sydney Barrows, which. She's just now going to be turning senior, so I don't know as far as over-quarantine what's been going on with her. She was, you know, as a junior, healthy as far as we know, and looks promising. (laughs) As far as we know. I'm a little bit terrified because there is a trend, and you can't deny it. There's a trend that when you turn senior at Texas Dreams, you get injured. Yeah. And that, and that could very well be the end of your career. Please, like, can we put her in bubble wrap, keep her safe, because I love her and I think that she's amazing mm-hmm. and her floor is also great. <laughs> is. But floor routine aside, like, she has a lot of potential and I think that she could make it all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, She's gotta stay healthy, though, and I don't know if she's gonna be able to do that at Texas Dreams. Right. I'm a little bit concerned. Um, other than that, I think the only other elite that we didn't mention was Kennedy Baker. And if we're not mistaken, I believe that she's the only one that made it through her elite career without any major injuries. She competed, you know, every season of elite before going to college. So, and she did get injured in college, but that's not necessarily anything to do with her club training. No. That's just coincidence. Because it's gymnastics. Injuries do happen. But every single athlete you've ever had, <laughs> like, at a certain point in their career that's when it's like it's not just oh it's gymnastics or it's a coincidence you know what i mean like it's not like that anymore it's like this is actually a problem with like the coaching or something that you're doing in practice or when these girls hit puberty if i I had to take a stab at what i think it is it's just that kind of like we mentioned earlier they they don't have any sense of like pacing so it's not like your long-term goal is to make it to the olympics four years from now three years from now whatever the case may be so we're gonna do everything we can to keep you healthy Even if that means pulling back the reins a little bit right now, Mm -hmm. I think that Kim very much has this, like, go, go, go mentality, and I think she kind of puts that on her athletes, and that's kind of, you know, what we heard with Reagan in 2018 in that interview. She's like, I don't like to get checked out before me. I'll just do it, I'll worry about it afterwards. But it's like, if your goal was to go to the Olympics, and you weren't really in good standing to make the world's team anyways, it would be more logical, at least in my opinion, to hold off and kind of just get that done now. Like, right. hold off on Worlds. Like, you've been to Worlds before, and right. you don't necessarily, like, Granted her, need that. Granted, her World Championship experience wasn't very fulfilling because of the injury, but still, it's like, aren't you thinking long-term? Like, Kim, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> and at what point is she going to reevaluate her coaching methods? Like, does she not see this? Because I think the gym internet sees it. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's no, like, payoff. There's no reward for these girls. Because, you know, most of them, if not almost all of them, they're they're not going to the Olympics. They're not getting world medals. They're not, like, winning a whole bunch of meets. I mean, Reagan, I guess you could say, did win nationals and whatever. But, you know, and then they're going to college. And it's like most of them aren't even having, like, happy, healthy college careers. And, like, isn't that the goal? Right. Like, isn't that what we're working for? But that's... I think that's pretty much what Ashton was saying in her statement. It's like, you know, she put in all this hard work and she's sitting here now retired looking back on her career trying to convince herself that like everything happens for a reason and it's fine and, you know, this is the way it was supposed to go for me. But then there's like that part of her that's sitting there like, like, did it have to be this way? Mm-hmm. Like, did I have to give up so much for nothing or very little in return? Right. I think that's very much, you know, that's the message that I at least got from reading her statement. Yeah. And I'm not sure With Kim and Chris, we talked a little bit in the beginning of this big spiel that, you know, Chris and stuff likes to joke, and Kim is a little bit more serious, so that they're an interesting combination as a a coaching duo. Yeah, I've heard in interviews before that they say they balance each other out, which Mm -hmm. I could see that. I could see Kim being, like, the very, like, type A... I mean, she was obviously a prodigy of the Corollies. Yeah, I was just going to say that there's that saying where it's like, you're a product of your environment. and I feel like Kim kind of was. Not that that's an excuse, because it's not, but we've heard athletes before, former athletes that go on to coach, say that they coach how they were coached. Yes. And that's not okay, and that's not an excuse, but I think that could explain why Kim is the way she is maybe in the gym. And then Chris, I honestly think he just thinks he's funny. Yeah, because that video clip that was going around, you know, some of the stuff of him joking, I really didn't think too much of it was that bad. The only thing that really bothered me was when he picked up Peyton and said, like, here goes the heavy lifting. Right. And Peyton already had some body, you know, self-image issues, it sounds like. We've heard, you know, after her career is over. So looking back now, knowing all that, it's funny because I remember watching that documentary on Flow and not thinking anything of it. But now, knowing what she has said about, you know, her experience with gymnastics, I'm like, oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah. And can you imagine being an already self-conscious, self conscious, insecure teenager doing gymnastics, st- striving for... Perf- per- can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Striving for perfection. There we go. Yeah. Um. And then having your coach say something like that and, like, think it's a joke. Yeah. I know. It's what you said. I, th- I think he thinks he's being funny um i want to say that i don't think he necessarily like means like ill will or Mm -hmm. ill intent with that yeah i don't think it's malicious but i also think that it can be taken the wrong way and And it's still just wildly inappropriate and he should be held accountable for i made aware of you know how his athletes have been affected by it and these are young girls and you know they're not necessarily going to be comfortable telling him that they don't think he's funny you know because they could get in trouble Yeah, there could be be repercussions of saying, like, hey, you hurt my feelings, or I don't think you're funny, can you stop? Mm -hmm. Like, um, with Bailey Key, and I think it was Ragged Smith, he was saying it to both of them, he was calling their vault technique, like, he was comparing them to, like, a SeaWorld, like, headliner. (laughs) Um... Which, like, sounds funny, and for some people, like, that might be funny. Yeah, like, that's the kind of thing I feel like I would think is funny, if I was a gymnast. Yes. Depressed. Like, I'd be like, okay. But also, we're adults now, and yeah. these were kids back then, so it's like, I could see how that could be upsetting, especially if you've been working on a school for a long time, and your coach is, you know, basically saying, like, when are you going to get this right? I'm not going to spot you anymore. You look like you're a SeaWorld performer, like, your SeaWorld thing he was calling it. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that's potentially really upsetting to a young kid. Yeah. So. Oh, no, I agree. There's a lot to unpack there with Texas Dreams, but I, I'm really glad that Ashton spoke out and Kennedy. She's, you know, here and there said a little bit, nothing in great detail, but she doesn't have to. I think we kind of know. And we've seen a lot of, you know, the Texas Dreams Jimmess in the last few days, kind of like retweeting mm-hmm. Ashton's statement and saying thank you. So, I mean, it's probably safe to assume that they also feel that way as well. and that, Or at that the very least that they stand by her, which is great to see. Uh, we're still kind of waiting to hear if Texas Dreams or Kim and Chris are going to, like, acknowledge this publicly. Mm-hmm. I feel like now that it's been made a public thing, they kind of have to. Like, the gym tonight's not going to be satisfied with no response. right? So... At the very least, you know, they reached out to her individually. That's good. And I don't think we should cancel them. You know, I'm not a big fan of cancel culture. I think that if they can learn from this and issue an apology and, like, truly be sincere about it, you know, they I'm can not- can learn from it. Yes. I, I'm willing to, you know, as a gymnastics fan, I'm willing to forgive them and hope that maybe they'll see, th- see this as an opportunity to make some changes with the way they, you know, train their athletes. Yeah. So today we are joined by mental performance coach Rebecca Smith, who is the founder and director of Complete Performance Coaching, as well as the host of the Perform Happy podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got involved with the sport.
1: So I was a gymnast. I was what I will affectionately call the headcase gymnast on my team. So I was the kid who was most likely to wobble off the beam with the nervous shaking. I was also the kid who was, um, I could either win beam with my series or I could completely freeze up and not be able to throw it at all. I was basically hit or miss because I was so tightly wound and anxious and I was such a perfectionist and I really wanted to make my coaches happy. And it became so much that by level seven, I was like, if I'm already this stressed out about a back handspring on the beam and a giant on the bar, like there's no way I can handle anything bigger than that. Even though I physically had the potential, my mind took me out of the sport at 14. And so then, um, I decided I was like, oh, I'm just gonna have a social life, but it wasn't about that really, because I immediately started coaching like 40 hours a week because I just loved being in the gym. I loved the athletes. I loved the sport. I loved the corrections and the improvements. And so it was never about me falling out of love with the sport. And then I started to notice these like little things I would do with the kids I coached. Like I'd have them visualize and then all of a sudden they'd break through something or I'd have them, I was always like, the word can't is not allowed in my class. Even at 15, I was like, we're gonna be so positive. And I noticed that those sorts of things made a big difference in like the enjoyment of the kids and also their results. And then um, well, when I was 12, I had gone to gymnastics camp and met a sports psychologist and was like, done, that's the dream career. Okay, I'm gonna do that. And so I ended up following that dream through and I coached also for 15 years up through level nine. Of course, I end up the beam coach because I, because beam was my nemesis. Like, and, and I also made some big mistakes as a coach. I was the coach who yelled. I was the coach who threatened. I was the coach who pushed kids down in their splits because that was all done to me. Mm -hmm. And So that's one of the reasons that I, you know, the more I've learned about what's considered abuse and what's considered acceptable, not acceptable, I can look back at twenty-three-year-old me and be like, Oh honey, like that's not okay to do to kids. Just because it was done to you, it's not okay. So so now my focus is helping athletes who you know, feel like they need to be perfect. They have these massive expectations. They melt down under the pressure or they shine and they don't really know what they're going to get from day to day. Mm -hmm. And, and really trying to shift the culture of the sport away from this punitive, you know, critical perfection oriented, all or nothing sport to a sport that can actually allow little humans to thrive and become big, wonderful humans someday Mm who like themselves still yeah you know, and how to have consent and those sorts of things
0: right yeah well we're glad that you're joining us today because you know you are really familiar with the mental side of the sport and Lately, there's been a lot of talk about the toxic and abusive culture of the sport. And a lot of athletes are coming forward from all around the world, sharing their experiences with abuse and you know, sharing their stories. And the last few months in particular, we've heard from a lot of gymnasts, um, some that come to mind, Laurie Hernandez from MG Elite and some of her teammates there. Um, we've heard from Katherine Lyons and Amy Tinkler and some of the other gymnasts from Great Britain. Ellis O'Reilly from Ireland spoke about her experience at the Olympics with falling on her head and not getting the proper medical care that she needed. But I think we're really seeing that it's happening all around the world, not just within USA Gymnastics. We've been talking about USA Gymnastics for so long now, and we're realizing that it's really happening at all levels and all around the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We used to joke about like, when I was a gymnast, we joke about the little Romanian children who were being like whipped and put in boxes and stuff. Like we thought it was hilarious to talk about that, but it's like, oh my gosh. Like, and the Chinese who are like 10 years old and being forced to train 70 hours a day. And, you know, it was almost like this like funny thing, like at least we're not there. So we're okay. But, but yeah, it really is like this, the whole culture of the sport. And I would even say beyond gymnastics to other youth aesthetic sports like figure skating and dance even where it's like the like what did um dominique mociano little girls in pretty boxes yep it's like they're being like forced to be these little beautiful robots who have no emotion
0: and do whatever they're told which just isn't reality it's yeah it's almost become the norm i feel like which is crazy yeah it is crazy I also want to talk about there was the Athlete A documentary that came out recently on Netflix, which if you guys have not watched, you need to go watch that because it really highlights the Nassar scandal and all those who failed to protect you know the athletes in that situation. And there was also the 30 for 30 podcast. They put out a series called Heavy Metals which focused on the Crowleys and, you know, the abusive culture that they created and made the norm. You know, you talked about the Romanians, they they created this environment in Romania and they brought it here to the U.S. And I guess it kind of just makes you wonder like where, you know, down this line, where did things go wrong? Because it seems like this has been going on for a long time now. And like, you know, you mentioned Brittany, it's been happening all over the world, even if we didn't realize it. And it's just kind of become the norm in the sport. So now a lot of people are asking like how do we fix this you know how do we prevent this from happening again in the future and i think it's really important for us to understand you know what the problem actually is and acknowledge how you know coaches and people in positions of power for years now they've failed these athletes so I wanted to start by talking about what the athletes are saying is happening to them. You know, what are some of the common threads that we see in the gyms? And I think one of the biggest ones is probably verbal abuse. I think we hear that one a lot. You know, name calling and fat shaming. That's a big one that we hear, which can lead to eating disorders too. Absolutely, yeah. I have a a friend who is a
1: registered dietitian who focuses on gymnastics and I'm like, girl, you got your hands full with the amount of just poor information that floats around. I mean, that's basically, it's like what we're all dealing with is like, we have the information that we're given and then we transmit to that to other people. So if we have this false information on what's going to help motivate athletes, I say, I have air quotes for my motivating athletes because it's most of the time, those kids don't need motivation. They are there to work their butts off and to, and to give you everything they've got. Right. If they don't have it one day, it's not motivation. It's often that they're terrified mm-hmm. of you, the coach, of the environment, of the repercussions of failure. It's like they've, they're, they're terrified. They're not, they don't need to be motivated. And then these coaches just like, they're just going about it in a lot of the wrong ways for these kids. So a lot of what I'm hearing is, so I, I do a lot of kids who do, who have mental blocks who, you know, they're doing this skill one day and then they can't do it. And it's like, what's wrong with my super talented athlete? And why can't she do this thing that she won state with last year? Yeah. And the common thread I always ask, um, you know, what's your relationship like with your coach? You know, so it's such a, um, like every athlete has what they call their support squad. They've got their coach, they've got their parent, they've got their teammates, they've got, you know, that's their support squad. And if that is solid, that kid almost has like this bubble wrap around them where they can hold onto their confidence. Mm-hmm. And if there's something in their environment that doesn't feel safe, like mom's not going to love me anymore if I don't get this skill or I'm going to get kicked off the beam and sat out and embarrassed and humiliated again and again and again, the brain starts to shut down. Yeah. Because it's like, it goes into hiding and it goes into avoidance. It's sort of like, there's a tiger out there. I'm going to stay in my cave. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't want to get eaten. And so a lot of like the common threads are coaches yelling Yelling and that's, you know, it's common coaches yell. Of course, if you have 13 kids across seven beams, like you have to yell obviously to get heard, but it's, it's this like definition of bullying is aggressive, unwanted behavior, behavior repeatedly. So when it's aggressive and the kid doesn't want that, you are bullying them. Like that's just the definition on the department of education website, unwanted, aggressive behavior. So if you're like, no, that was horrible over and over and over like that is unwanted aggressive behavior right and it's it's not okay
0: well and also the name calling we've heard that a lot too that's 100% bullying yeah Yeah, humiliating
1: people yeah that's that's another thing on the on the punch list of symptoms of bullying is like is putting people down you mentioned the power differential like one up one down I'm the coach you are the lowly gymnast and you will do what I say because I know better and then name calling. Oh my gosh. Or also questioning their commitment, saying, Well, you don't even want to be here. You yeah. don't even want why are you even here? That's that's also considered verbal abuse.
0: Yeah, that's that's gaslighting. And we see that a lot with injuries too, forcing gymnasts to train while they're injured and saying, you know, you're, you're lazy. You're just trying to get out of practice when in reality they're, they're hurting Mm -hmm. and they might not physically be able to handle it anymore, but these coaches are, you know, forcing them to keep going and telling them that what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, they're not actually feeling. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And my experience, these athletes are, are way too tough for their own good because they've been doing this since they were level three. They've been like, Oh, my ankle hurts, but I can't because I told them yesterday. And then, so I, it's fine. And they just keep it to themselves. So I'll ask athletes like, okay, what on a scale of one to 10 for pain, what number do you usually tell your coach? They're like mm, eight. I'm like, girl, eight. That's like, you could barely walk. That's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's like, what if you were at a six and she's like, oh, I could, I know I would I'd tough it out. Like, oh my gosh, they're, they're conditioned to be that it's an excuse you're just yes. making excuses and it's not acceptable to speak up.
0: Yeah. We heard that a lot from like Michaela Maroney and some of the interviews that she's done. She talked about like not only her personal coaches, but then you also have like the national team coaches that are constantly like doubting your injuries and making you feel like you're just making it up or you're imagining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. because you're not tough enough. Yeah. Michaela at the Olympics was competing with a broken toe. Yeah. And then also Jordan Weber, stress fracture. She had a stress mm-hmm. fracture and it was hit from her by a, a course not other than larry nassar you know he he didn't tell her that she had this injury and she's competing she's in pain but she's thinking she's fine at mm-hmm. one one
1: like sad story is um Carrie Strug. you know how she vaulted on her broken ankle got cold without it Yep. yep. yeah yeah like going back and doing the math like they did yeah like it was this miraculous and yeah i was in tears and it was amazing and my favorite olympics ever and oh my gosh like her bella holding her you know with her ankle wrapped and we did it but like they didn't even need that
0: yeah it's like this picture perfect moment like you love to see it it looks great but like Yeah, we didn't actually need to do that. Yeah, but I think that right there speaks to the culture of USA Gymnastics even back in 96. You know, Mm -hmm. she didn't have to do that vault, but she's literally limping back to the beginning of the vault runway. And let's just have her go again because it's going to make for this great cover of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And you know Mm -hmm. she didn't have a choice. Oh, absolutely no, not. Bella Crowley always says like you can do it, you can do it, but like in reality, the translation of that is you will do it. She didn't have yes. a choice; she was doing that vault.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've known a consent issue with these young athletes, where they don't they don't often understand consent, and that was something that I personally struggled with as a result of my gymnastics training, which was like l- not that bad, I guess. Like qu- uh, quotes again, not that bad. They just like pushed me in my splits and made me condition till I cried and like wouldn't let me off the beam till I did my thing. But it wasn't that bad. Like, like I loved my coaches. You know, it's like, more brainwashing, right? Yep. But I I didn't understand consent going into my adult life. I didn't know how to say no for so many years because I had been conditioned. The answer is yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, or even someone that you you feel like is better than you. Or then the answer just is yes. And that makes me so sad for these girls. That's like one of my secret crusades is I'm going to give these girls a voice and they are going to learn the word no, respectfully. They're going to learn how to respectfully decline when someone asks them to do something with their body that they don't feel comfortable doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great life lesson. Again, gymnastics Mm -hmm. teaches all these great lessons. And I think that's definitely one of them is sometimes you have to say no to people and you have to be Mm -hmm. firm in that and. You know know that you're making the right decision for yourself and it doesn't matter what your coach is telling you or Marta Crowley, the the people in the higher ups of USA Gymnastics or whatever organization we're talking about, you know, yeah. you want to look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's, you know,
1: 1996 or any time up until what, you know, to now, if you say no, then you lose your spot on the yep. Olympic team.
0: Mm -hmm. If you
1: won't tumble on your broken ankle, well, sorry, we'll make room for somebody else. And it's just, oh, it's so devastating. And I really desperately hope that that behavior will shift in a big way.
0: Yeah. I hope we get away from that too. Because yeah, these girls are, they're so young. And to feel like they don't have a voice in any of this, I mean, this is their like livelihood. This is their life. And to, have, to be controlled by adults and not feel like you have the power to say no when you're not comfortable with something, it's just, it's so wrong. Yeah. But then there's these great
1: stories like Samantha Peshek. She's like, I call her my spirit animal. I, I love her. She's <laughs> like, the, and the thing about her that I love is that she struggled with mental blocks. She was the team head case. So I'm like, uh, you're just like me, except way better at gymnastics than I ever was. But <laughs> the thing that I got, I had the opportunity to interview her. And like the big takeaway for me was that she and her coach worked together and yeah. they talked about it. And she'd come into the gym and she would go, coach, I'm having a day where I just don't, I don't feel safe today on this. And she would say, can I do four times as many on the low beam? And her coach would say, yes. And it's like those two things where she's speaking up She's being honest about what's happening with her. Her coach is listening. They're working together. They're finding a creative solution. And then, you know, the happy ending is she's so stinking consistent on beam as a result of all those extra reps that she did that she's NCAA champion. And she's the the can't miss beam girl. She's Mm -hmm. the beam queen because of the fear, because of that relationship with her coach, I strongly believe.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention, we did an interview with Crystal Uzalak. She was a junior national champion for three consecutive years. And she talked about how she just wanted to feel, like, respected by her coaches. And, like, like a human is, you know, as dumb as that may sound. You know, she would talk about, like, being, like, up on the beam and she was having a rough practice and she wants to walk out. And she had people coming out of the office saying, like, you need to do this for perquets. Like, do it for the gym. Like, do it for us. It's not about you anymore. Yeah. This is about us. Mm -hmm. Just the amount of pressure that these girls are under just to meet their own expectations because they are perfectionists, but then they have all these other people. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's so hard. to. And I've worked with kids from you know, all the big name gyms. And honestly, those are the hardest mental blocks to break. Those kids consistently are the hardest to break through because their coaches literally will not give any wiggle room. It's like, no, you just do it. There is no take a step back. No, you've done this before. Get up and show it to me or you don't deserve to be on my team. I mean, I'm like, I'm not, I'm exaggerating maybe a smidgey, but like, or it's a combo of all the worst of all that. But those like big name athletes are the ones where the kids are, they don't feel safe. They're, because they must, and they're constantly overriding their own intuition to just make it happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, and and after a certain amount of time of that, the brain is like, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And it takes a whole like a, a complete rewiring of the brain to to break through that. Like a complete rebuild with consent, with communication, with collaboration mm-hmm. to to fully grant freedom from that block
0: is what I've noticed with those kids. Yeah. Um, Another one that I wanted to touch on was physical abuse, and we've heard about this a little bit, you know, in the past year as well. John Getter was a big one that people were talking about, um, you know, throwing stuff in the gym. Sometimes you hear of instances with, like, physically hitting the gymnast or shoving them, pushing them. And then another thing, too, refusing to spot. You have coaches Mm. that get angry at the gymnast and refuse to spot them, which could lead to injury Obviously, that's not safe. That's pretty neglectful, I would say, but mm-hmm. I think that's pretty common too in the gym with a coach that's mm-hmm. physically abusive. Have you heard of a lot of, you know, scenarios with that happening?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Withholding the spot, or no, you cannot have a mat. No, you cannot go to the pit bar. No, you cannot have, like, and some for confidence. Even if it's ridiculous and sometimes I have to tell the athlete, like you're going to roll your eyes at yourself right? because you need a sting mat under the beam to throw your series, but like get the stupid sting mat and get yourself moving because then you're making some progress. Then you have some success. It's like you have to start the, the snowball rolling somehow. And if it means like the Simone Biles yellow mat on top of the beam, get the stupid mat. Like why? And when I was a coach, I was actually taught at one of the gyms I coached at, you don't spot beams. It was just like a blanket policy. We don't spot beam because, and the reason was because it, they're going to need it. It's going to become a crutch. And so we don't want them to have a crutch. And I've heard this a lot. And so I was like, sorry, I don't spot beam because my boss said I can't spot beam. So that's just the way we do it. And then I had these athletes who could knock it off the low beam, could knock it off the low beam. could not. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to break the rules. I'm going to spot this kid. And like, guess what? She does it on the low beam. She feels good. She goes with the medium beam. She feels good. She goes and like I took one or two spots on the low beam just getting the feeling of it. And then these like blanket policies across the board, like that's the way we do it. If you can't do it in practice two weeks before, you're scratched from that whole meat or like they all these sort of arbitrary policies that are like basically, I would say, around the ego of the coach. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to look bad. You only competing three events because you got
0: scared or whatever. That's the kind of stuff that I feel like people just don't realize about gymnastics. Like they don't realize that stuff like that is happening behind the scenes. Like you would never guess that a coach is refusing to spot a gymnast or that they're being instructed to not spot. Mm -hmm. These are like dangerous skills that they're doing and to put their safety like at risk like that, just for what, you know? That's the way we do it. That's the way it's done.
1: Yeah, I'm trying. I'm like, oh, I'm sure. Honestly, and I hate to even say this out loud. Like, I'm sure I've pushed a kid off a beam when I was that 23 year old know it all that was like, get off my beam if you're not going for it. Like, I'm pretty sure that's happened. And it's like, ew. It's and I was the kid that had the fear, and I still couldn't even figure out how to coach a kid because my my modeling wasn't there.
0: No, that plays a huge part in it. Like you're doing what you were taught and it may not be right, but that's all you know Mm -hmm. from either your experience as a gymnast or from your experience as a coach, right? You see what's going on around you and you think that that's just the way to coach, you know, that's the way you you do it. And then that's what, that's what leads to years and years of this behavior from coaches is that they they think it's okay and then it gets passed down to the next generation of coaches and and then it creates this cycle that we're in now and that we're trying to break Mm -hmm. yep i would
1: encourage any coach to actually like pull up the definition of bullying pull up the definition of verbal abuse and just compare it and be like do i do any of these things and it just feels normal do i scream at the kids do i criticize do i humiliate do i am i aggressive do I push? Do I throw things? I used to throw bean bags at kids on beams. Like, God, I was terrible. Oh, and I thought I was hilarious. That's your, the worst part. Your dark side is coming out. I know, gosh. I don't like to edit that part out. No. But like I needed to come out because that I was I was really well. I loved my athletes. I loved everything about the sport. I wanted them to be great. I wanted them to feel great, but I didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make it okay.
0: Yeah. Well, and also at least you're reflective about it and you can acknowledge where you may have not been, you know, doing something the right way. And I think that's exactly what we need to start happening is like we need to start having these conversations and coaches need to start realizing that the way that you were taught isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's okay
1: Mm -hmm. to acknowledge it. Yes. So then there's this, this like interesting thing I heard the other day that was, um, I was talking to a gym owner and she's like, I have friends who are terrified to even reopen their gym because they're scared they're going to get reported for everything. And I'm like, let those gyms close down. Bye-bye. Like if yes. you're worried that you're going to be reported for abuse,
0: hi, red flag. Yeah. That means you're probably abusive. <laughs> right. So before we get into talking about what are some of the things that we can do maybe to bring about change, there's one more thing I wanted to touch on, and that is grooming tactics that can lead to any kind of abuse, really. Sexual abuse, we saw it a lot with the Larry Nassar scandal, but with any kind of abuse, yeah, the grooming tactics. um, The biggest one that we thought of was blurring that boundary between coach and athlete In order to build the trust and sort of like a friendship yeah between the athlete and coach have you heard many uh, you know instances of that happening with your work with athletes you know fortunately no fortunately I don't know maybe
1: unfortunately if they just haven't told me but um but not in my personal experience thank you goodness. It's been mostly reports of this verbal abuse, maybe some physical abuse. just like so much verbal abuse, unfortunately, emotional abuse um, that really like sticks with them. It's just plays in their head on repeat. But so during the, you know, when the Larry Nassar scandal was coming out, obviously I was like reading everything possible and like having all these flashbacks to like different coaches and what they would do and looking at all the warning signs and things to look out for. And one of them was like, um, you know, like a coat tickles a lot. Yeah. And then my poor husband who is like the toddler whisperer, he's uh, every one of my little girl's friends are like, he's the most amazing. We want to hang out with him. He plays Legos and he makes us laugh. He would tickle kids. And I was like, dude, you can't tickle kids. Like that's totally a, like a pedophile warning sign. He's like, I'm not a pedophile. Oh my gosh. That's so horrible. I'm like, I know, but you just can't. No, yeah, that's like, creepy. I think, it's creepy. I know. I'm like, you're, you're wonderful and adorable, but like, you can't tickle other people's kids. And he's like, oh, am I a creep? I'm like, you're not a creep, but you just like, you can't do that. You can't. And so also like, I'll talk to athletes about, you know, can you have a conversation with your coach about this? Cause it sounds like you need to tell them how you're feeling. I'm like, how can you talk to them? And they're like, well, we can't send a text cause that's not allowed. And we can't talk to them alone. Cause that's not allowed. And I'm like, oh, well that's all good. Makes communication like a little bit harder, but I think it's good that you're not actually allowed to be in a closed door with your coach for a conversation. You're not actually allowed to like have a text conversation with your coach. Those are things that safe sport has stepped up on, which is great. Cause yeah, it's those, like, it's always the fun guy. Who's like going to wrestle on the mat and tickle you and your best friends. And he's going to invite you over for a pizza party like all of that is not cool. Even yeah. if you're just my adorable husband who's really fun with kids, I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a boundary. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we saw it recently with Maggie Haney at MGLE, and MJ Lee and something that we noticed for a while, but no one really ever like talked about it, how she would interact with her athletes on social media, she would have the gymnast over for sleepovers, like babysitting her kids. Um I always thought that was kind kind of strange because again it blurs that line between you know you're my coach and what are you also my friend? Mm-hmm. You know, Larry Nassar, he would, you know, obviously we know he did treatments in his basement of his home, which is mm-hmm. extremely inappropriate. But he would also bring the athletes gifts from some of their, you know, favorite Olympians. And it I think the problem with that is that it makes the gyms feel like they can't, you know, express concerns or speak up because they feel guilty, because they feel like they have to protect their abuser because they have this sort of like, I I, want to use the word like alliance with them. Like they Mm -hmm. feel like this is my friend. This is my like safe person. Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: there's that. And then there's also that they think this is my fault.
0: That happens
1: with the, the sexual abuse, with the physical abuse, with the emotional abuse. The abusers set them up in a way that they feel like I deserve this. This is my fault. I didn't, I did a bad job. That's why I got yelled at. I didn't do my assignment. That's why I got kicked off. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't do my job. So therefore I deserve this punishment Mm -hmm. or I got too close and I'm not a good person. So maybe that's why this happened to me. It's constant that, that, you know, talking to a victim who really doesn't see that it's not their fault. It's devastating, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to really, to feel like not only has this traumatic thing happened to you, but you take it on as if you deserved it.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of times with the younger athletes, they don't even realize that they were being groomed. Like they're probably not even familiar with that term, you know, to know what grooming someone looks like. I don't think that that's something that really crosses their mind either. Mm -hmm. And then there's also even like the the low level version of that,
1: which is coaches playing favorites Mm -hmm. that can be so, it can be so harmful to the psyche of an athlete to feel like, Either I am the favorite and then I have to perform, or I'm not the favorite. I'll never be, so I'm not good enough. It's like these these toxic relationships with coaches can it can come in a you know a small doses, but it still eats away at the gymnast's confidence, and that can be long lasting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about now what can be done. You know, what are some things that we can do in the sport to make it a better place for the future generations of gymnasts. So what are some ideas that you have, especially, you know, as a mental performance coach and having the insight that you have, what are some of the biggest things that you think we can do to shift away from the culture that we're currently in? So I think the first thing that
1: I would love to install in everybody associated with gymnastics is an open mind, because there's this concept of quote unquote old school coaching that's just sort of accepted as a, oh, she has an old school coach, the end. Which to me means she has a closed-minded coach who doesn't go to seminars and learn about the new information that's coming out about this sport. Mm -hmm. Her coach doesn't go to Congress. Her coach doesn't listen to a podcast. Her coach just already knows everything. And, And same goes for the athletes who are like, well, I already know everything and this coach hates me and that's the end of the story. It's like, we all need to open our minds up and from that place, that beginner's mind of okay, I don't know this person, I don't know this coach, I don't know this gymnast, I don't know this parent, going in with curiosity and going, okay, how can how can I better understand this person? I was talking the other day with somebody who was given a lot of benefit of the doubt to the coaches, and is like, you know, coaches have such a bad rap, and um, they like we got to have empathy for them, and so I'm going to say yes, but. Mm -hmm. but they need to be educated on the fact that certain behavior is unacceptable and you cannot claim ignorance anymore. You just can't like, so I would say club owners, you know, people who have the ability to influence other coaches, education, 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 education on, and I think USA gymnastics is doing like a feeble effort at trying to do this through their various like certifications required to be on the floor at a, at a, um, at a competition. But, education on what is not acceptable, especially, specifically, like, what do coaches typically do that is not okay anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, po- post Me Too, post Larry Nasser, these behaviors are not acceptable. Then I would say, you know, if you're, if you're coming up against a bullying situation, where whether you're a, a bystander, you're the athlete, you're the coach, you're the gymnast, if there is a situation that you are witnessing that is, you know, abusive, the first thing to do is intervene intervene and and call it out because that's what has not been happening in our sport for so long. Nobody calls it out. Everybody just goes, "Oh gosh, I'm glad that wasn't me. Yeah. So to actually start opening our mouths and calling it out, like this is not okay. Then, then we go in with an open mind and we have a conversation. That's the first piece is to go, you know what coach? Like, gosh, that really doesn't seem to work for me. Okay, then you've got the coach who, you know, maybe they have a narcissistic personality disorder. Maybe they just can't see it or they won't see it. That conversation needs to be had over and over. You know, like this. This is not. This is not working. Maybe it's the parent goes and and talks to the coach. Then maybe you go to the club owner. Then maybe you're going to the board. You know that the the conversation cannot stop until the problem has been solved. Right. Yeah you know, there's this risk of making waves. So it's like, okay, I have, if I'm a a gymnastics mom and my level 10 gymnast is being abused by her coach, but her coach is best friends with the college coach of the team that my kid wants to go to. And if I make waves with this coach, then what is my kid's dream going to go away? And you have to look at this. Like Like there, yeah, there's a lot on the line, but you run the risk of, let's say you keep the kid with that coach for another year. And then she goes to the, that coach's best friend who also coaches that way. The repercussions are so big. She falls out of love with her sport. I was just talking to a collegiate gymnast whose coach is, is abusing her, you know, emotional abuse, who is absolutely falling out of love with her sport. Yeah. And she also, you know, they fall out of love with themselves because they believe they deserve it they fall out of love with humanity because they feel like the world is not a safe place. It's like, is that worth a scholarship? I don't know. And I hate that that's even a
0: question. Right. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. think another thing too, even at like this, more so at the gyms that we're seeing, you know, producing elite level athletes, having an open door policy for parents and visitors, mm-hmm. anybody who wants to come and watch a practice. Cause I feel like, if you're not doing anything wrong, there should be no problem with people coming to watch practice, whether it be a parent mm-hmm. or a fan of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just having that transparency. You're, you you want, as a coach, you want people to see what you're doing. And um, really just to kind of be able to cover your own butt, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Make it known that you're not hiding anything. Yeah. There should be a way to see what's happening with your child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off that, the whole transparency thing, I think even just coaches for their own good, documenting injuries or concerns that have been raised in the gym, you know, in our real lives, in our jobs, when there's an incident, you fill out an incident report, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's something that maybe coaches could consider doing. You know, you talked about, some coaches or gyms you know being afraid to resume thinking that everything's going to be different now and they're going to be reported for every little thing that they do but i feel like if they're upfront, especially if they make a mistake you know if they own it they apologize they are documenting things i feel like that almost protects them as well, you know, from being unnecessarily criticized for something that they didn't do. You know, that's why I think transparency is like one of the biggest things that needs to be happening in the sport. Absolutely. And that even boils down to the micro level,
1: which is like the relationship between the athlete and their coach, that there is that transparency. There is that openness. There is that ability to listen to one another And yeah, there's crazies in our sport. You know, there's crazy gym moms who are going to be like, well, you won't move my kid up. Then you abused her. Like, okay, sure. That could happen. But I'm all about like, let's listen to the victim. You know, if your kid is coming to you and saying that there's an issue, it's probably a big one by the point, by the time they're actually willing to say something. Yeah. You have to, you have to take it very seriously. And yes, if you are a good coach, who loves your athletes and you're doing the best you can. Yeah. You're maybe making some mistakes, but you're doing your best document it. Keep track of it. Be transparent, open door, let people watch. Mm. And then if some, you know, if some kooky banana gym mom wants to throw you under the bus, you've got enough people around you to be able to go to bat for you. Yeah. Cause they've seen the truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to get your perspective too, as a mental performance coach, how do you feel about the idea of having them almost on staff, I guess I want to say at at gym. So that way they're easily accessible to the athletes, whether it be after practice or before practice, you know, having that option for them to have someone to talk to about, you know, their fears or mental health and to kind of almost normalize it in the gym to be like, you know, it's okay if you want to go and talk about, your fears or not feeling like you love the sport anymore, you know, having someone to talk to and normalizing that in the gym. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I can tell you the
1: majority of pro sports teams have a sports psychologist on staff. Mm -hmm. The majority of D1 schools have a sports psychologist on staff. Um, The most high level teams are absolutely embracing it, not just as a like, oh, your weak athletes can have a little help here. That's what the the stigma has been. But instead it's like, well, duh, the Seahawks got a got a sports psychologist and then they won the Super Bowl. Okay. Like that's that's interesting information. It's actually it's just another level of training. You yeah. know that I believe it's like, why would you not? Why would you not sharpen every axe that you've got? And then of course there's so much stress that it would be wonderful to be able to have a neutral third party that isn't your parent that isn't your coach that isn't your teammate who's also vying for that spot on you know to be able to compete beam this weekend that they can then go and sort of fall apart in a safe place get some tools deep breath back to work i mean it's just it's just like i mean i feel like i have a coach i feel like everybody should have a coach <laughs> like mm-hmm. just as a as somebody who can see your blind spots even if you're just killing it, if you're the you know the top performer, you're super consistent. Having somebody to to see your blind spots or to be able to hash out that one little doubt you have or that one insecurity, I mean, it's so valuable for your ability to perform at your peak potential.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Another thing that I thought was kind of a good idea was, so USA Gymnastics has a suspended list or a banned list of coaches that have had accusations made against them. They've been investigated and they've been found, you know, not suitable to be a coach. And there's not something like this at the FIG level. Um, so that means that you have coaches that can potentially leave the United States and go to other countries and continue their same problematic coaching methods. And, you know, one that comes to my mind is Valeria Vyukin. He was mm-hmm. the national team coordinator for a while, and then he was kind of pressured out i guess you could say, of his role and then he moved to brazil and he was coaching there so but he has a history of being verbally abusive and overworking his athletes so mm-hmm. you know if he's a problem here in the united states why is he not going to be a problem over in brazil you know yeah oh
1: gosh i know as you're talking i'm like shaking my head and my heart is pounding and i'm like like how dare you yeah and then you know we have to go back to the the idea of controlling the control so yes. I could get all worked up about all the injustices and all the kids that are getting hurt. And I think the best service that I can do is to go, okay, what's, what's my part in this and what can I, what change can I make? And how can I, how can I encourage other people to like, that this is not okay. And I think even just us having this conversation today, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, people, this is not okay. Like, it's not okay to do this in Brazil. It's not okay to do this in the U S so one, one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one, one, like standing up against a bully at a time. We each do our little part to shift this to the point where that coach is going to be blacklisted everywhere. Yeah. Or they're going to have a change of heart and they're going to realize that they're going to reflect and go, wow, that
0: wasn't, that's not who I want to be in this world. I'd yeah. even prefer that. Well, I think having these conversations too, it it helps to kind of you know put the pressure on really all of the coaches and the institutions who've enabled and protected abusers. So you know whether it be USA Gymnastics, the USOC, the FIG, MSU, you could go you know to any level with this. And yeah, the conversation, keeping it going to continue to raise awareness and. Having it be that gymnasts know what the red flags are, the parents know, and the coaches are being held accountable and they they know that and that's the expectation. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of when I first
1: was told that pushing people down in the splits is not okay. I was like, lighten up, you weirdos. That was my (laughs) reaction. And I had to hear it repeatedly to be like, wait, that's actually not okay. Like, that's crazy. Right. And so, I think it needs to be talked about and talked about again and talked about again and talked about again. Like it is not okay to scream at kids. End of story. It is not okay to scream at kids, even if they didn't make their correction, even if they didn't make their beam routine. Like it is not okay to scream at kids. Yeah. It's not okay to push kids. It is not okay to intimidate kids. It's not okay to manipulate them. or you know, none of that is okay. Right. And like that has to be repeated and re- repeated and repeated and and, like you said, held accountable for things to really change.
0: Yeah, and I think the more that we speak about it, the more that the athletes themselves even learn that it's okay for them to speak out and they, they know themselves what to be looking for. Because um, I think we've heard about that a lot with Larry Nasser, and even Maggie Haney. It's like the athletes don't really realize what's happening to them until they hear other athletes speaking out. And then it kind of clicks in their brain and they're like, that was what's happening to me. Or, you know. They, it makes them actually think that... Maybe this isn't okay. You know, maybe my coach shouldn't be calling me fat or maybe I shouldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. be obsessive over my weight because my coach is making me feel like my weight's not okay. Keeping the conversation going lets the athletes know that it's okay to have concern and to speak out about it. And that people are going to have your back when you do talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Yes. And that's how, that's how the upper level gymnasts can start to have a voice and have their spot on the team at the same time. That is my dream.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, like we said, keeping the conversation going, I think it's really important. And we're so thankful that you decided to come on the show with us to talk about this because it is so important and we need to keep the conversation going. So thank you. Absolutely. Oh, my pleasure.
1: It has been so nice to connect with you guys. And thank you for the good that you're doing for the sport and for, yeah, keeping keeping the conversation going.
0: How can our listeners find you if they want to know more about what you do or if they want to work with you? How can they find you?
1: So you can go to the website, completeperformancecoaching.com. We also have a free Facebook group for families of young athletes. So that's sort of the under 18 training gymnasts and it's called the sport confidence accelerator. That's on Facebook. It's free. Come join us. We give out free tips and we have a, a really nice community of families who are, you know, thinking in this way, athlete first, we'd love to have you
0: that's all for today's episode. We want to say thank you, Rebecca, for joining us and for offering your insight. This isn't the most fun or easiest subject to talk about, but we really enjoyed having you on and hearing your perspective. So thank you so, so much. So, next week, we are actually going to be taking a break, so there isn't going to be a new episode coming out. We are going to be going up north. Um, We live in Michigan, if you guys don't know. We've said it a million times, I believe, but we live in Michigan, and we're going to be going up to the UP. We don't really get service up there, which is kind of crazy, and it's going to be really boring, but hopefully relaxing, and um, so yeah, there's not going to be an episode next week, but... We are going to be doing a really, really, really exciting giveaway that I think you guys are going to love. Um, We have two autographed copies of Simone's Vogue issue that we're going to be giving away. So we're going to do one on Twitter and one on Instagram. So make sure you guys are following us. We're at Pod on both those platforms. Because we will be announcing the details of how you guys can enter either later this week or sometime next week. We hope you guys enjoy your week and we will talk to you after our week off. Bye. Bye. (laughs)